0: Amen. If you have your Bible, if you would, please go ahead and turn to Mark chapter fourteen. Mark chapter fourteen, and then um, I hope that I hope that tonight we really do want more of of God's presence. That you're here, longing for it, and ready to ready to meet with Him. I'm going I know. I know. We just prayed, but as you turn to Mark fourteen, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray again. Just ask that God will um, speak to us tonight and. Uh, give us ears to hear. God, again, we're, we're thankful for the time we have to come and to worship, Lord. I'm grateful for these students. Um, I know that it is counter-cultural in college to, to come to church, especially in Lubbock on a Thursday night when I know that's a night for other things. so, um, God, I pray that they would be encouraged. And Lord, I know we're at that point in the semester where they're just kind of tired and worn out, Um, maybe even some of them discouraged from different things that have gone on, and so Lord, I pray that uh, as we look at who you are in your word tonight, God, that it would be encouraging, it would be challenging, and Lord, I know that um, what you have for us tonight is a little bit thick, and so I pray that you would just help us to understand it clearly, God. I pray that you would help me as I I communicate, um, Lord, that you would speak through me in that that the truth that is in your word would be brought to light, God, and we would submit ourselves to who you are. God, we love, we love you and we're thankful again for this opportunity. I pray that we would just be ready to hear from you. Now with your, your head still bowed, your eyes closed, um, I just want you to just ask God to help you. Ask him to help you see who he is as we study tonight. Jesus, we love you, and we really do want to meet with you tonight. It's in your name, we pray. Amen. you ever notice, especially if, if you are not from Lubbock and you've moved here, or maybe if you are from Lubbock and you've gone like and visited other places before? You ever notice how when, wherever you grow up, wherever that is, um, there are a lot of things that you don't realize how awesome they are until you move away. You know what I'm talking about? Even if you're like from a little small podunk town where like there's nothing there that you would say, like, "Oh, that's so cool." sometimes when you move away, like if you're from, Tatum, where where you from. What's the town? Yale? Gale. I'm assuming it's kind of small. Maybe I'm wrong, but like when you come to, y'all like, mm-hmm. when you come to Lubbock, you might miss like the small town feel, right? I mean, Lubbock still kind of has a small town feel, but there's certain things you miss. Lauren and I, as much as we love Lubbock, um, occasionally I'll say to myself, you know, had I known I was going to live in West Texas, I might have gone to the beach more growing up in Florida, right? Like, like I'm like, how? Why did I, Why did I not learn how to surf? Like, what is wrong with me? Um, or you know, if, if you're from Lubbock and you're used to going to, like, seriously, you're used to like, uh, where were we the other day? Um, oh, we were in uh, Sherman, Texas, uh, for a pasture retreat thing, and Lauren and I and the uh, middle school pastor Richard went on a bike ride, and about five minutes into it, you know, this is like Sherman, Texas. This is not in the like the Rockies or anything. After about five minutes, I was like. I've been taking for granted the flatness of Lubbock. I miss it. Like, really. Or you you go, I remember um, I'd been here for, I guess, about two years. And uh, my buddy Joey, who I've mentioned before, was getting married in uh, Opelika, Alabama. And I remember I I flew into Birmingham, Alabama, and started driving to Opelika. And I felt claustrophobic. Why? Because of the trees! (laughs) I was like, I kind of miss the flatness and like just the the barrenness of love it. Like, I'm not trying to be mean. Like, I really did. Um, See, so, yeah, if you're, if you're, sometimes, if you grow up around something all the time, you can eventually take it for granted. Uh, sometimes the opposite is true. If you, if you don't know what you're looking at, you've never experienced it before, then you're just kind of clueless to what's happening. Like, Lorna and I went on uh, Monday for another sonogram, and the, the nurse, whatever lady, is like, you know, now, now this here is, picture of its hand do you see that we're like yeah yeah we see that right <laughs> like i'm just like what is that on the screen right <laughs> even the pictures they send home i'm like are you sure that's a baby <laughs> um yeah because i don't know what i'm looking at so it's just kind of like i don't know what to make of this i think sometimes when, when we study the bible there's two two ways to think of this if you've grown up in church a lot and, and you've you've read the gospel story you've, you've been here every easter all that kind of stuff you can kind of like take things for granted. You can kind of skim through it, right? You you do do that, especially like I say, it's a book that you're reading or whatever for class. And if you've had to read it before, you've heard it before, what do you do? You kind of start, I'm just going to skip a little bit. I've heard this, right? I think we can sometimes, unfortunately, do that with the Bible. Y'all agree with that? Y'all with me? All right. At The same time, what I mentioned about like not being familiar with what you're, not knowing what you're looking at, I think if you've not come to church, and and really more important, like you've not read scripture, you've not really st- like been exposed to what's in the Bible, you can be reading stuff and you're like, hey, that sounds cool, but I have no idea what I'm looking at. Kind of like us with the sonogram, right? You're like, I just don't know what's going on here. Tonight, we're going to, when I say we're going through Mark 14 through 16, I don't mean like normally where we like camp out in a few verses like we did last week and just really study those verses. We're not going to exactly do that tonight, which that's my, I think that's the, really the best way to preach is to really just dig into like a a natural unit of scripture. But tonight, uh, I want us to maybe like back up a little bit and in a sense slow down on some things that we may, me included, may have missed or like skimmed over as we read the gospel story. Are y'all with me? So we're not gonna like legit study chapters 14 through 16. We're just gonna look at a few things and really a few um, themes and key ideas of the Bible that like we can't miss out on. Like we gotta get. Kind of like... um, if you were, you know, someone, your family's coming to visit Lubbock, you might be like, hey, there, there's these, this is place you got to go eat, right? There's this thing you got to do, okay? Um, man, these are things that, if you've studied the Bible a lot, you may have missed, but we, we can't miss. we got to get these, okay? So here's the first thing, and I'm just going to tell you this idea, and then we'll look at it, okay? So here's the first truth that we really see. And you really, we see these truths in all the gospel stories, um, but we're just going to be focusing on Mark. So here's the first truth. Jesus is the Lamb of God who died so you could truly live. Jesus is the Lamb of God who died so you can truly live. So here's where we're going to look at this. I I think I told you to turn to Mark 14. I hope you're there. Um, By the way, we're going to be like all over the place in the Bible tonight. So get ready to turn or or use your phone or whatever. So if you check out Mark chapter 14, what you you find even in... uh, you look at verse 14, or sorry, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, It was now two days before the Passover. And then if you go on to uh, chapter 12, it talks about, uh, it says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, keep reading, you keep seeing the word Passover, Passover, Passover. So Jesus, the time that um, he was arrested, accused, beaten, crucified, all that took place during the time that the Jews were celebrating, I'll give you a guess, Passover! Yes, they were celebrating the Passover. And we're going to explain what that means in a second. So there's a time they were celebrating the Passover. And here's what you got—you got to understand. This wasn't just coincidence. This wasn't just an accident. Jesus made his big move, the big like, defining move of his ministry, right at the time of the Passover. You say, well, how do you know that? Zechariah, I believe it's 14, uh, I think it's Zechariah 14, describes that the coming Messiah will come and will ride in Jerusalem on a donkey. Guess what Jesus did that week as they begin to celebrate Passover? He rode in on a donkey. Now to you and I, it's like, that seems odd, right? <laughs> like, um, this was a huge claim. This was, this was a big deal. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he made this move. Now, I, I, mentioned, I mentioned like this, we gotta get this. If you don't know what Passover is and all this, uh, really, you could say, like, background, then this doesn't mean anything to you. So we've got to understand what Passover is. Turn with me, you can keep your finger there if you want, but turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, or even ver- uh, chapter 11. Exodus 11 and 12. So if you're familiar with the story a little bit, um, in the book of Exodus, people of Israel, God's chosen people, were in slavery where? Where? In Egypt, yes. And God called a man that God was going to use to help deliver them. Who was that man? Moses. Yes, Moshe, right? Moses. Was Pharaoh very, um, did he respond very well when God began to call his people out? No. He said, no, I ain't going to let your people go. No, right? He didn't let them go. So he began to send plagues. Darkness, uh, locusts where they destroyed all their crops. All these different plagues. Well, you see in in, uh, chapter 11 of Exodus, the 10th and final plague was going to be the worst. God tells Moses, what is he going to do? What was he going to do? Kill the firstborn of every family. And here's the catch. Not just the Egyptians. It was going to be every single family, Israelites included. Everyone was going to be under the wrath of God. But if you read chapter 11, we're going to read a little bit of it here in a second. If you read the story, God told told Moses, but I'm going to have a substitute. I can spare the Israelites if they'll do this. They need to get a young, spotless lamb, one without defect, and you're going to have to kill that lamb. Which again, I don't think we should just pass over that. This is a bloody mess. You're going to kill the lamb... You read this in chapters eleven and twelve, and you're going to get basically, basically like a, a, um, a branch. You're going to dip the branch in the blood. And you're going to take that branch. You're going to wipe the blood over your door. This would be a little creepy if you did this in your dorm, but I'm not suggesting this. Okay, you're going to take the blood. And you're going to wipe it over the doorpost of your house. He says that's going to be the substitute. Look at chapter 12, verse 13. It says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here's the deal. If, as long as the Israelites, they put the blood, the, lamb, the blood of the lamb over their house and they stayed inside the house when the angel of death came through at midnight, they would be spared as long as they were under the shelter, the protection of the blood. Y'all with me? But if they walked outside for the protection of the blood, they too would experience the wrath of God. The lamb would be the sacrificial substitute so they would not have to die. And you know what, if you read the rest of the story in chapters 11 and 12, that's exactly what happened. The Israelites, they they believed God, they sacrificed the lambs, put the blood over their their doorposts of their houses, and stayed in their houses under the protection of the blood of the lamb. And they did not experience the wrath of God. And because of that, what did the Pharaoh do? Let the people go, right? He let them go. They got, they were able to, to be delivered. They were set free from Egypt. Exodus has a has the, has the theme that really, this theme kind of, um, it started to be like woven through all of Israel's story that there was a tyrant, Pharaoh. There were, there were slaves. There would be, um, sacrificial redemption, a sacrifice that would provide delivery that would lead to new life and a new land. And here's the cool thing. If you read Exodus, I think it's actually in 11 that he tells them to do this, and 12, God told the people, every year you're gonna celebrate the Passover and you're gonna remind your family of the story God's telling Moses. This. You're gonna remind your families of what I did to set you free of the lamb and of the deliverance that happened. Every year you're gonna celebrate that story and remember what I did to deliver you. What's going on when Jesus began, began the final bit of his ministry? Passover. If you read in verse 22, before I read it, let me say this. When, they would, when a family would celebrate, or a group of friends would celebrate Passover, if it was family, typically the father, they would, as they ate and took part in the Passover meal, they would describe and they would recount the story of the Exodus. So they would say things, okay, this meant this, and this means this. This recounts the blood of the lamb. This recounts that um, we were set free, we were delivered. Listen to what happens as, they're, as Jesus is celebrating the Passover with, with his disciples. Verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So here's the deal Jesus, he's carrying out the Passover meal, following it, following it like the following it, is that a word? Following it like they normally would. But then he breaks from the script. And he says, As he takes the bread, what does he say? This is me. This is my body. Then the cup. This is my what? Blood. You know what Jesus, what he he was doing? He was saying, the Passover is really about me. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 can say, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Y'all, here's the deal. The real tyrant that not just the Israelites, but that we all face his name is Satan. He is our enemy. All of us, not just the Israelites, all of us are in slavery to what? Sin. All of us need a sacrificial lamb and his name is Jesus. And as long as we are under the protection of his blood, we are spared the wrath of God. And you know what? When you're spared the wrath of God, that sets you free into a new life. And in one day, jesus promised us what a new land right called heaven in case you're wondering (laughs) love looks great but it's not heaven (laughs) y'all jesus is the passover lamb he's the one that died in your place so you don't have to experience the wrath of god and ultimately in a place if we don't like to use this word it's kind of like we think it's you know silly but so ultimately you don't have to experience the wrath of god in a place called hell he died so you could live and set you free. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus is the long-expected Savior of the world. Jesus is the long-expected Savior of the world. See, I think as we talk about the Passover, you could say, well, maybe that was just like coincidence that Jesus did all that ministry like at the time of the Passover. Maybe it's kind of luck. No, 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 no. When you read, and again, we don't have time to go through all of it, but if you read through especially chapters 14, 15, and 16, over and over Jesus uses words like, as it is written, as it is written in the scriptures, so the scriptures may be fulfilled. What Jesus keeps referring to is saying, yeah, what they wrote about in the Old Testament, so that it may be fulfilled, this is now going to happen. Let me show you what I mean. Check out, um, I'm not going to look at all these examples, but look at Verse 21 of, of chapter 14. It says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. You know, what he's referring to is in Psalm 41. You write it down. I'm not going to go right, right now because of time. But in Psalm 41, it's really a prophecy ultimately that finds its fulfillment And Jesus, if you read it, I promise you, you cannot help but think of Jesus and what Judas did to him. Psalm 41. Jump down to, let me see here, verse 26 of chapter 14. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, again, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. If you turn to Zechariah chapter 13, Man, that's such an incredible story. It talks about that the day that sin, oh, sorry, that sin will be forgiven and hope will be restored, new life will be given. And it says that for that to happen, for, for us to be able to be called the people of God, he would have to strike the shepherd. Who is the great shepherd? I'll give you one more. This is a good Sunday school chance to guess. Who's the great shepherd? Jesus, yeah. So again, he's referring back to Zechariah. Jump over to uh, verse 49 of chapter 14. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Man, this is so cool. He's saying, you bunch of wusses. I was with you on the temple every day, and you never did anything against me. But now that it's at night, under the cover of darkness, you come out against me like I'm a robber. Oh, okay, bunch of cowards. But hey, let the scriptures be fulfilled. So, what was written long ago of me, now it's time, it's, the time has come for it to pass. Look at verse, and I'm giving you a bunch. Look at verse 61 of chapter 14. So, these men are bringing accusations against Jesus. And it says, But he remained silent and made no answer. I want you to keep that in mind. They're bringing accusations against him. They're saying he did all these things. It says he remained silent. And then, if you turn to last thing before we look at something amazing, turn to chapter fifteen, verse five. They're bringing all these accusations against Jesus, and Pilate asked them, "Have you no answer to make?" See how many charges they're bringing against you. Verse five, but Jesus made no further answer, so that the, so that Pilate was amazed. Jesus is the long-expected Savior of the world. Let me give you two quick passages that still blow my mind to this day. Turn to Psalm 22. I hope you're familiar with this, because man, the psalm is amazing. Psalm 22. Y'all still with me? I know we're a little thicker tonight, and I'm struggling myself. Psalm 22. Now, as we read this, When we get done reading, I'm going to ask you, who, who, who came to mind as we read it? Chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did Jesus cry out on the cross? Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I, do, but I find no rest. Yet you are Holy enthroned on the praises of Israel and you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried and were rescued In you they trusted and were not put to shame but I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people all who see me mock me they make mouths at me they wag their heads he trusts in the Lord let him deliver him let him rescue him for he delights in him Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, but for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Did a few of those things happen to Jesus? Absolutely. Turn to Isaiah 53. Turn to Isaiah 53. We're going to look at verse 4. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. There's, there's so many more good things here, but I'm trying to be quick. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Isaiah was talking about a servant who would come and rescue God's people. to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. What did Jesus do when they accused him? He remained silent, just like a lamb. I know there's a lot here. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus was not just an afterthought for God. Like, oh, those people seem in trouble. I might as do something about that. No. Revelation says, he is the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. See, Jesus is the long expected savior that scripture speaks of even from the beginning, even from Genesis. So here's what that means for you. Even knowing Uh, Sorry, let me rephrase that. What it means for you and for me. Even knowing how evil we would be. How messed up we would be. That we would go places with our feet that we shouldn't go. That we would do things with our hands that we shouldn't do. That we would think things that we shouldn't think. That we would look at things that we shouldn't look at. That we would listen to things and entertain things that we shouldn't listen to. That we would say things that we shouldn't say. That we would fill in our gut things that we shouldn't feel. Even knowing we would turn our back on Him. Even before you were born, knowing how evil and messed up you and I would be, God had a plan to rescue you. To pursue you to the point of death on a cross. This is a a terrible example, but... Like, Lauren and I, you know, we've been talking about we're having babies. We're super pumped about that. And you know what the reality is? I had a buddy tell me the other day, his daughter is about um, a year and a half. And he was like, man, kids are just dirty little sinners. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make me excited. <laughs> but you know what? Lauren and I know that our kiddos, they are. Like, look, they're like us, like their parents, they're going to be dirty little sinners. But you know what? We already love them like crazy. already buying i've been on amazon today buying some books for him nerd right (laughs) but at two of one millionth degree higher that's the love that god has for you as displayed in jesus knowing how evil and messed up we would be he still had a plan to save you to rescue you i remember the first time i got to meet lauren our friends have been telling us about a or, sorry I should rephrase that our friends have been telling me about her for a long time and so I've kind of been like pursuing this thing for about two years right <laughs> and we finally met I'm like you have no idea right <laughs> like I, I loved her before I even met her right because there was a plan in place God has pursued you even though you and I don't deserve it last thing real quick here's the third thing I want you to see Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to come near to God. Back in Mark, I know we've been a little bit everywhere. Back in Mark. Chapter 15. Mark 15. So that we, if you're like me, I've skimmed over this way too many times. So he's on the cross. Verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. I want to go back to the beginning of 38. So when Jesus breathed his last. So... When the penalty for sin had been made, when he died for you and me, it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So at the temple, there was this massive, mainly purple curtain, very thick curtain, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And ultimately, all of this was represented. But the holy of holies was supposed to be the place that re- really represented God's presence. This, this was where the intimate, full presence of God dwelt, and again, like you can't contain God. Just in this little, behind this little curtain, but the idea was that for the for the Israelites, it was really symbolic that the curtain represented they did not have access to God. Y'all with me? That because we are sinful, because He is holy, we do not have access to Him. We are cut off. It's a closed door. They could hear about God. They could experience God, but to really fully experience his fullness, I said that kind of redundantly, but to see him for all that he is, to know him intimately, that was not something they could do. They were cut off. No one could go back there except for one day a year on the day of atonement. By the way, you can read more about the curtain in Exodus 26 when it was first made. But on the day of atonement, the high priest could go there to the holy of holies. Here's why he would go. Every day, all day, sacrifices were being made for the people. But the day of atonement was to remind the people that they still needed someone to make a sacrifice on their behalf. So the high priest would go in and first he had to make atonement for his own sins because he was a sinner himself, right? So first the high priest would make sacrifice, atonement for himself because he was not perfect. And then he would make atonement on behalf of the people. Again, representing that they still needed someone to, to really uh, to provide cleansing for them because they couldn't do it themselves. Once a day, the high priest got to do that. The people, they longed to see the presence of God. Even today, we've got a picture, um, I think I've got that back there. So this is the western wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So if you were to like, and I would not advise this, it would start World War III. But if you were to scale that wall and jump over, up there is the Dome of the Rock. So you might be familiar with that, which that's actually, that's not a Jewish thing. That's a Muslim thing. Um, but the reason that you might have heard of this as the Wailing Wall, but the reason people go to this wall, you can see the people up against, like their faces up against the wall, I'm praying. The reason people pray at this wall, well, one of the main reasons, is because this is the closest they can get and, and pray, legally pray there, for lots of other reasons I'm not going to. This is the closest they can get and pray to the holy of holies where it used to be in that day. To this day, the Jews long if they could just be close to the presence of God. What happened? when Jesus breathed his last what's it say the curtain of the temple so the curtain that separated cut people off from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom what's God telling us we have access how awesome is that we don't have to go to this wall. I, mean, I went just for funsies. Funsies. I just went for fun and prayed at the wall because it was kind of cool. But you know what? I didn't feel any closer to God than I, there than I do right here. Because through Jesus, what he did for me, I have what? Access to God. I get to fully experience him and know him because of the price that Jesus paid for me. Notice, Casey and I were talking about this a second ago, the, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. What does that represent? Who created the access? God did. Man's not on the bottom. I'm going to tear this curtain and get to God. No, no, no. God did it for us because we couldn't do it ourselves, right? We get to see and enjoy the presence of God because of what Jesus did. And this is, again, like a really lame example because all this seems trivial compared to, You can put that picture away. Thank you all. When you're talking about God, it seems trivial comparatively. But I remember um, on the day Lauren and I got married, like, you know, you follow the rules. We're not going to see each other until... The actual ceremony which we kind of cheated a little bit and decided we would take pictures early and see each other but all day i can't see her i can't see her and it's our wedding day she's going to be in her, her dress i want to see her right it's going to be amazing and instead like she's just at a distance I can, I can hear her talking in another room i'm with all the groomsmen i'm like y'all are ugly i want to be with her right like um <laughs> you guys are weird so i remember i was finally it was like probably three in the afternoon or so i was going to get to see her we're going to go take our pictures so i'm like of course it comes to me i'm like i i, I love i'm going now i see you in a second and it was wood stairs, and I definitely like literally went down, like fell all the way down to the bottom. But I remember when I went out and I stood under this tree. It was actually the tree where I very first saw Lauren. That's totally has nothing to do with it, but kind of cool. So I'm standing under this tree, and the photographer says, all right, you can finally see her. And I turn around, and like there's a few pictures of me going like, what? Because <laughs> it was every day. I was like, oh, maybe was just one day of me like, man, I can't wait to see her when I got to see her. It was amazing, right? I Meant for... For years, the people of God longed to fully see God and fully just em- embrace how incredible and beautiful and amazing He is. And you know what? Because of Jesus, you and I don't have to long for that day. We're in that day. We get to see God fully and know Him now because Jesus made a way. And you know what? Jesus is standing at the at the curtain, going, "Ugh, what'd you do? No, you can't come in. Or wait, you did that? No, I heard what you said. You can't come in. No." If you will put your faith and your trust in him, he says, hey, come on in. There's access. I've made access for you. Here's what I want you all to see, and we're going to wrap up. So he's the Lamb of God who died so we could fully live. Again, we have our own personal exodus because of Jesus, right? Set free from sin. Set free from the rule of a tyrant. Second thing, Jesus is the long-awaited Savior of, of really the world, but that it is proclaimed in Scripture. So he's, he's the hero, right? We talked about this week in some with Walt. And the third thing, Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to come near to God. So if we could kind of wrap all those in one, okay, like how do I kind of embrace that in my mind? Again, sorry, before I say it, let me say this. Again, none of this matters if Jesus stays in the grave. But he didn't stay in the grave, right? He got up. Here's what I want you to see. Because of the work of Jesus as our Passover lamb, as the long-awaited Savior, as the one who grants us access to God, and now we get to come into the presence of God because our sin is forgiven and washed away. I forgot to say this. Uh, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews talks about this curtain, and Hebrews 9 um, says that Jesus, so cool, Jesus, when he came into, um, I, again, metaphor here, when he came into the, the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice on our behalf, He didn't have to first make a sacrifice for himself because he's already what? Perfect, sinless. He wasn't like, hey, Father, let me make this right. No, he's like, hey, I'll bring my own blood because I'm the sacrifice and I'm perfect. Like, that's amazing, right? And then Hebrews 10 says that we get, because of the work of Christ, we get to come in. So again, part of the curtain, we get to come to the presence of God with full assurance, confident. I get to come and be with God. And not worry about if he likes me or not because of the work of Jesus, or if he's forgiven me or not because of the work of Jesus. I can come in with confidence. So again, I keep interrupting myself. But here's what I want you to see. I love the way John Piper says it. Because of the work of Jesus, we do not have a God who is ninety-eight or ninety-nine percent for us. We have a God who is a one hundred percent for us because of Jesus. So here's what I want you to see. If you are not a Christian, know that you can know God and be forgiven of your sins because of the work of Jesus. If you will repent from your sins and turn to him and say, Jesus, I trust in what you did for me, that you're my sacrificial lamb and that under you, I don't have, under your blood, I don't have to experience the wrath of God. I want to know you. Why would you not want to know that God is 100% for you? And so tonight, as we sing here in a second, I know we're a little long again. I'm sorry, but as we're singing, I would love to talk and pray with you in the back. I really would. If you're like, hey, I want to know Jesus. I want to want to be forgiven. A lot of us, a lot of you tonight are believers. And here's what I would say. Most of us, we maybe as a Christian, you've heard some of these things, but most of us still live in that 2%. What I mean is, is you're like, Yeah, God loves me. He's for me. I'm a little nervous. I think he's still kind of mad at me. Because of the work of Jesus, y'all, regardless of what you've done, if you trusted him, you can come into his presence with full assurance. Know that the God of the universe loves you and cares about you, and he is on your side. It's time as Christians that because of what Jesus has done for us, we quit living like God is mad at us. If you're under the blood of Christ, you don't have to live like God is mad at you. <laughs> you can walk with him and enjoy His presence in confidence, knowing that you are free and you are forgiven. We're going to sing here in a second. And I want to invite you, if if you're a believer and just maybe you've been living like in that 2% of like, like God's mad at me. I'm still trying to impress him. I'm still trying to to like make sure I'm forgiven. I want to invite you to walk into and meet myself included. I want to invite us to walk into that 100% tonight of knowing with 100% assurance because of what Jesus has done for me, I am free and I'm forgiven and I am loved and God is for me. I'm not a slave to my sin. I'm not a slave to fear because of the work of Christ, now I'm a child of God. And if you're not a Christian, I will, I'll be in the back I would love to pray with you and explain maybe what that means a little bit more. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing a little bit and respond. Um, and we'll be dismissed. Jesus, thank you for being the Passover lamb. We're grateful that the hero is here. You've come. And God, We're grateful that we have access to you because of the cross. That we no longer have to to stand off from a distance and hope to one day see you. Lord, we, we now can enjoy your presence because of the cross. So God, I pray that as we sing, we would rejoice in that. And Lord, maybe even that calls us to repent from some sin. I don't know, whatever it is. Lord, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit tonight and respond as we sing.